0: Hello, Michael.
1: Hi, Hava.
0: (laughs) That was such a long pause, Michael. That was such a long pause. Leave that pause in there. Don't edit it out.
1: I'm a dramatic person. I'm I'm into large gestures. (laughs)
0: Large gesture girls make the world go round. Freddie Mercury said that.
1: Don't try to flatten my gestures.
0: I would never do that. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm doing good. You know, I'm fine. I'm drinking the port that my friend sent me in the mail, which is nice. Right.
0: Did you fill your homework of watching the Rugrats Passover special, or did you shame the Jewish people?
1: No, you know, I was having one of those existential, like, what is the meaning of life? I think I'm going to, like, bury my head in my pillow and try to cry kind of nights. Wow, that, that got dark. That was pretty dark.
0: It's fine. It's great. Our listeners crave that kind of honesty.
1: Yes. This is Jewish Oprah. We're exposing ourselves to you in a non-creepy way. We're very exposed. Hava, expose yourself to the audience, please. (laughs)
0: Well, um, I'm actually in quite a lovely mood because we got a new Patreon follower today. You know who you are. I will not say your name on the air, but you know who you are. And you came on. Oh, I'm smiling. Even as I'm saying this, you came onto my Instagram and you left a comment about how cute I was. And I was having a really bad day, but that just completely saved my day. I am a Leo. I literally cried tears of joy. My roommates mocked me mercilessly. So, anonymous patron, hero, thank you so much for giving me the attention that I both serve and crave. That's how I am. Without further ado...
1: Yeah, welcome to the harem.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, people. Today, special episode, we are having... As a guest, my friend Jazz Tworzski, two part question, well, statement question plus question. Okay. Tell us <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and also how are you?
2: My name is Jazz I use they, them pronouns. I am in my day job, usually a teacher, but right now I'm like teaching from home. And uh, by avocation, I'm a person who makes crafts and studies Talmud and uh, would like to someday do at least the t- studying Talmud part semi-professionally. So that's the plan at the moment.
1: Welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> and your podcast coach. Goes- which we here on this podcast love and support. Aww, thank you. <laughs> that, that, I guess that's the other thing that I do. I host a podcast um b- called Kosher Queers with my friend Lulove, and we talk about the weekly Parsha by breaking it down and with both humor and queerness. So it's great.
0: Baruch
1: Hashem. Welcome to the show, Jazz. So we're doing a little bit of a podcast mixer here.
2: Yeah, it's- I am an admirer
0: of your show. Oh, well, thank you. We thrive on on that kind of attention. We are flattered. Thank you for coming on the show. I understand that you have a Talmud that you want to talk about.
2: I do. I found a piece of Talmud that I uh, really enjoyed um, and I won't quote the whole thing of it in Hebrew. So I'm just going to give you start with some background if you want to follow along at home on safari or like, if you just have a Talmud line around kudos, I'm jealous. Um, uh, but it's, at the bottom of Brachot 27b and the top of Brachot 28a, the background of this is that the rabbis were trying to find someone to be head of the yeshiva. And they said, maybe we'll do Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria because he's wise and rich and has good yuchus. They asked him about it and then he went home and he asked his wife about it.
1: Wait, what is Yachus? Just for my benefit.
2: (laughs) Sorry. It means that he uh, had good ancestors. He had famous and wise rabbinic ancestors.
0: Got it. So he was from a nice family.
2: He was from a nice family. He was a nice boy from a nice family.
0: He was a nice Jewish boy.
1: He sounds really cute. I love it. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And they asked him to be head of the yeshiva and he was like, hang on, I got to go ask my spouse. Love it. And And then what happened? And then he comes home and they have this very sweet back and forth about her being like, maybe you shouldn't do it because what if they just remove you? And he says, well, but if they gave me a nice cup, even if I thought it would break tomorrow, I would use it now to take advantage of it. And then she said to him, which is basically you have no um, white stuff. You have no white hair. And she was like, it's undignified of you to be head of the yeshiva. When you have no white hair, you're not old enough.
1: Whoa. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> and that day, he is apparently only 18 years old and already qualified to be head of the yeshiva and married. And that night on his like 18th birthday or whatever, his hair turns white overnight. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Yes, incredible.
0: So many partiot of this partia of Talmud. But yeah, what do you think about it jazz or hate about it? Or, you know, what are your feelings?
2: I mean, so my first uh and primary feeling for it is that I love that we just get uh, right there in the Talmud affirmation of the thing that I have always said, which is that hair dye is gender affirming and real important. <laughs> but only
0: possible by the power of a miracle in the Talmud, apparently.
2: Maybe. Maybe uh, he dyed his hair and told everybody it was a miracle.
0: Right. You Are you saying that far of blessed memory would tell anything other than the perfect <laughs> truth, Jazz? This is a shonda? I am shocked. Jk, I am not shocked. They are shady bitches.
2: They are. But uh, also, I think Klava, as a person who dyes uh, their hair much more often than this person, it means you are definitely qualified to be head of the Yeshiva. Um. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my.
1: Okay. Wow. All right. What? Okay.
2: <laughs> um, and I also just love it because this is a bit where like the rabbis asked this person to be head of the yeshiva and his wife was like, well, here are the reasons you might not be qualified. And they didn't consider that one at all. Like they were like, age isn't a factor. It's just important that you're like wise and good at your job. I like that. I think that's like a nice model.
0: It's a nice model that the wife was concerned even when the rabbinate wasn't?
2: Well, I think it's a nice model that the rabbinate wasn't concerned. They were like, we can just put you in power. And I appreciated that his spouse was like, okay, but what if? What if they try and take you down? Like, I'm looking out for your best interest, really.
0: I feel like the thing that I like is I think the wife is more political. You know, she's thinking about the concerns of like, if you get in and then get removed, how will that look? Just thinking about all these angles, you know, she's the power behind the throne, which is always a role that I have aspired to.
1: That's not true. You, <laughs> that's not true. You've aspired to be on the throne, okay? <laughs> Don't lie to our listeners. I'm your Iago. I'm
0: your Iago. okay? Okay, Michael is the voice behind the throne, but I do feel I am the more political of the two of us. In the sense of, like, navigating situations politically.
2: Mike, how do you feel
0: about
1: that? That's fair. (laughs) I mean, I think you're better at caring about other people's feelings. And I can sometimes just be like, meh. You know what I mean? Just kind (laughs) of.
0: Yes, I am the sexy assassin. And you are the person who supplies me with guns. (laughs) Oh, which your hot take was about um, the God thing.
1: Listeners. My oh, right. my shit died, and we would like lost. I don't know four minutes of of me mostly saying nonsense. But we can skip it. Do you want me to re say it? What do you think?
0: I think you should re say it because we also need to get. If your gender is old, we That's need to right. get that back in there. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Hava had a great bit. We need to get it in.
0: And I think you should re say it because there's never enough of your takes on the podcast. It's
1: true. I'm very shy
0: jazz said it was true it is true
1: well thank you jazz i appreciate your support of mine okay all right so i was like no shoot your shot okay i'm very cynical this is a bunch of rabbis sitting around a table being like the woman's all concerned for all these bullshit reasons so then boom I'm just gonna literally do what she's afraid. Uh, what what she says I ought to be the truth. uh l- 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 How do I say this? You know what I'm. You're. Ah, you're
0: what okay, okay. what am I trying it's to okay. say? Hama, what okay. am I trying to say here? Just, just let me ask a question. I will maybe help you. Thank you. Because conversation is a collaborative process.
1: I know. I know. Okay. So
0: the literal interpretation of what his wife is saying is sort of like a fuck you to his wife's concerns. Yes. Like by literally interpreting it as being about white hair rather than the political ramifications.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like a fuck you. It's like, I'm the Federalist Society of the Torah. Motherfucker, what are you going to do about it? It's like one of those situations that it's like, you know what, fuck you. Go away. You're, you're missing the point you're missing the point.
0: He's just making some political references that are very over my head. So I don't know what you meant by the Federalist Society.
1: It's okay, this show is like the Simpsons, you know, some some of it's highbrow, some of it's lowbrow.
0: So you're saying my part's is lowbrow?
1: I did not say that. <laughs> right here, Meta, what you just did to me is kind of what the rabbi did to his
2: wife.
0: We will fight about this after the podcast. Jazz, do you have an alternate take on
2: this? I do. Um, While well, I'm sympathetic to the argument that the rabbis were just being dicks to someone's wife. I think that next we have this bit where Rabban Gamliel comes in and says, look, any student whose insides are not like their outsides uh, can't enter the study hall like that. And so I think there's an argument instead to be made that they're they're just taking the whole thing a little bit more seriously and saying, "Look, he had to change his outside appearances to reflect who he truly was as like the person qualified to lead us and it's just very important to have people's outsides be reflective of their insides."
1: Okay. Yeah, that uh, that kind of kills my whole theory. <laughs> this is why I don't share cuz I'm just like, "Hey guys, no. Here's Michael, my idea." The ta-
0: and then Jazz is just this- like,
1: Boom, you're wrong, motherfucker. Deal with it.
0: The Talmud is non-dialectic. Your ideas aren't getting defeated in the marketplace of ideas. They exist in attention together. Yes.
1: Oh, okay, okay,
0: okay. Yeah. All right, all right. That's the truth. All right. Transpositivity Torah, if your gender is old, you should be holistically empowered to transition to be old presenting
1: that is very true
0: wow exactly. even funny the second time i love that
1: yeah it's great it's great
0: <laughs> it's, so it's real just such a real <laughs> thank you Thank you. Old gender. Show me the catonic genders. Gruel. Gruel. That was a great Talmud discussion. I think we recuperated. Wait, Gruel? Our
1: What's Gruel mean?
0: Great and cool. It's a line from Meme Girls, Michael. Oh, okay. Every week, I will reveal to you more pop culture references, <laughs> and you will continue to not consume the media. All
1: right. Yeah. I'm really behind on everything, you know?
0: I started this show as a pretext just to get you to be able to understand my Talma references.
1: I think you started the show as a pretext to sit on a throne, but uh, we can talk about that afterwards.
0: <laughs> exactly. As I was meant to be. Really, I started this show as a pretext to survive, but all those other reasons are included. Gruel, as I was saying... We have a listener question. We're going to do a listener question this episode.
1: You want to read it to us, Hava?
0: Yes, henceforth, I shall read it. This question comes from anonymous listener number three. Like many young queer radicals, I felt that many forms of Jewish practice simply don't speak to me. Some points of concern are an overly intense focus on the Jewish people that sometimes turns towards Israel and an approach to God as a distinct entity and object of prayer as though all of creation is not God. What advice would you give somebody like me looking for an inroad to Jewish practice and specifically to connect with prayer when all prayers begin with Eloheinu Melech HaRolam? How do you interpret Eloheinu Melech HaRolam? Am I asking the right question? And just a little bit of context for listeners who may not know, Eloheinu Melech HaRolam is part of the introduction to most blessings, usually literally interpreted to mean our God, King of the world. Fellow podcast hosts... You have to say to Anonymous Pod Listener three.
2: Thank you, Anonymous Pod Listener 3, for your question. I really enjoyed this question. I particularly enjoyed the bit at the end that said, am I asking the right question? Because yes, and also you could have asked many different questions and they would also have been the right question. I enjoyed that. I wrote down lots of notes on this one, but I figured I'd start at the end because I had a very concrete thing there, which is I was taught a cool alternate interpretation for Eloheinu Malacha HaOlam the other day. And I thought this person might enjoy it. If you look at the letters in Melech, the root of it, the Shoresh, is Mem Lamed Chaf. And there is this interpretation that they each stand for something. It's like an acronym, that it was Mocha, Lev, and Kavod, mind, heart, and strength. You don't have to think of it as like a king but as like all of the different sort of parts of your body and self interacting with the prayer. And then olam, often translated as world, but also can be sort of variations on eternal space or eternal time or something that's like hidden or invisible. So if the king of the world part doesn't resonate, sometimes I resonate more with like doing things with your full strength or an idea of God as something completely hidden and invisible that might resonate more.
0: Nice. So I like that. I've never heard that drosh of Melech before. I will be now forever quoting that. Michael, what do you think?
1: Okay, so I'll say that, uh, you know, king of the world and separate god that's, you know, out there doing a separate god thing, these are all metaphors, right? That's the thing. You don't want to conflate the metaphor with the actual thing. If we could actually name the thing, then we would name it. But maybe we're not allowed to name it. Maybe our eyes would melt out. I don't know. I saw that movie once. It was pretty cool. (laughs) So maybe you don't like the metaphors, and that's fine. But then you can think, like, why are these the metaphors that these people in the past are using? Well, maybe they're using these metaphors because that's the realities of the society and the community that they're part of. And so, so that's their source material for what they draw their metaphors from so you might actually be in agreement with what they're trying to say maybe maybe you want to try exploring what that metaphor could mean to someone from that time period what do you think you like that hot take
0: i do i do like that hot take i offer also my own hot take three little answers just to just say that judaism has a long tradition of non-dualism like as early as maimonides who was in the medieval era we have a conception of God that has been around in Judaism that involves being totally non-dual. Like Maimonides, I think, would say that God is beyond all conception. Anything that we can say about them will will be wrong by definition because they're utterly transcendent and utterly one. So they're in good company in terms of the transition, the tra- uh, tradition. Transition, tradition, tomato, tomato. To uh, a little tactless, a little practical suggestion Instead of saying Adonai, which means Lord, which occurs in a lot of the prayers, I always say Hamakom, which means the Mm -hmm. space. So Hamakom is a name that's actually used for God in a lot of texts. It's used in the Talmud. It's used in different places in the prayer book. It's grammatically occupies the same role as Adonai in that it's a masculine singular noun and also... It has the same number of syllables. So it fits really in the prayer. It also is sort of non dual in itself in that it's referring to an abstract concept rather than Adonai, which refers directly to like lore
1: The Shema is kind of the most non dualistic thing that's out there, people. And I, I'm sorry, <laughs> it trumps everything else. I'm feeling very
0: combative today. <laughs> You say that shit every fucking day. Not to call you out, but you do not say Shema every day, so like... Did I say me? (laughs) I did not say me. I'm just saying, who are
1: you? I'm just a mirror, baby. I'm just a mirror. If it's not me, then who?
2: I was going to say one that I I love your thing about replacing it, because I think you can kind of experiment with whatever words you want to replace it. Like, like Michael was saying, one canonical thing that we don't say at all. So you can kind of play around with replacing words with whatever. But also, if what you're trying to do is connect with Judaism, you've got other options besides connecting with it via prayer. I am in favor of experimenting with other ways to connect with Judaism that are not prayer. We've got a lot of other things going on. All right. I mean,
0: on a personal note, like I really struggle with davening. Like I really struggle with prayer. I really struggle to find the joy in it. I think I'm someone who's pretty committed to figuring it out, but I, a lot of the times don't get it. And I just do it. I just keep doing it in the hopes that I'm going to get it. I think sort of a tenant of my Jewish practice is if you treat it with seriousness, you can hope that it will be revealed to you as sacred. Mm -hmm. It might not feel sacred every time you do it, but if you treat it that way, I think that really increases your chances of having a genuine, authentic experience of sacredness.
1: We've answered that. Second half of the listener's question, what about, oh, Judaism can feel kind of myopic, focused on Jews and pro-Israel and, uh, you know, not that into that, makes me feel uncomfortable. What are your answers to those
0: kind of issues? Yeah, let's go in the same order. Jazz.
2: Sure. Um, I guess that's part of what I was trying to say with that you can relate to Judaism in lots of ways. Like if prayer is hard or thinking about Israel isn't a thing you're ready to do at the moment. Sometimes the way that works best for me is doing different kinds of learning. If you like listening to people, like both of us have Jewish podcasts, you can check out like Jewish learning online. And then there's like Jewish Crafting and Jewish cooking and learning Jewish languages and participating in Jewish activism. Like, I think there's lots of ways to incorporate Judaism meaningfully into your life that aren't prayer. Thinking about prayer as something that may be really meaningful and that we may struggle with. And also, like, if you're looking for an entry point, it doesn't have to be, like, your first thing. It doesn't have to be your entry point. If you want to hang out in my Jewish crafting group, I have a Facebook group called God Save Us From Your Stitchwork." If you want to do stuff around Israel, like, there are people... Who you can connect with who will want to relate to things the way you do you can find those people even if they're not in your city i have a friend who lives in like rural vermont who also participates in things and just does so remotely
0: in my experience i have always been faced with the dilemma of either i can create my own spaces my own queer jewish spaces where there's a lot of people who think the way I do about Jewish peoplehood and Israel and Palestine, or I can remain in Jewish spaces that are really tough for me and be sort of an agitator in those spaces. It's really hard for me living in Providence. There's not very many people who create spaces that I can easily be a part of. So I usually have to be the one to create them. God willing, I will live in a place that it's easy for there to be spaces that I can just be a part of. So that's what I have to say about this part of the question. Michael, do you have anything to add?
1: You both talked about approaches that you got to go out and experience different types of Jewish activity and search for people who you can relate to, because a lot of these questions can't be answered by just sitting in a room and, and thinking through what the solution is you have to go out experience it that being said here's my think it through answer about at least the israel part of the question the whole israel thing That's really like a trend. That's like only like a 100, 120-year-old trend, right? That's like real new. It's like nothing. It's like a blip on the Jew radar. To me, it's not like Israel is good Jewishness. It's just like a weird psychological manifestation of a certain generation's insecurity about their own takes on being a Jew. My answer to them and to you is uh, explore more healthy forms
0: of Judaism. Hot takes in the studio here tonight, people. Boom.
2: It's also like a real place. Like it's it's not just a psychological phenomenon. It's like also a real place. Like that you can engage with as a real place. But uh that's true.
1: You can engage with it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's a wrap, people. Thank you for coming on the show, Jazz. Dear listeners, it's like our caddish that we say at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Twitter. Join our Patreon. Call the Talmud hotline. Share our podcast on social media go listen to jazz's podcast culture queers it's dope look at my cute selfies on instagram i think that's all people i think that's good i think we did it okay shavua tov everyone bye bye